What shall we do with him? What shall we do with him? What shall we do with him? If you hurt me, you won't get the antidote. We don't want your antidote. Yes, you do. Everybody needs the antidote. The Chosen don't need it. Chosen by who? By Zoot. Zoot? Zoot's dead. Zoot lives. Zoot lives. Zoot lives. Zoot lives. I saw him die. I helped with the funeral. He is condemned by his own mouth. Zoot shall be avenged. Welcome to Series 2, Episode 12 of Conversational League of Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. And Colin. What up? With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So Series 2, Episode 12, the screenplay was done by Anthony Reed. It was directed by Costa Boats. And the episode synopsis were read out by Liz. Escaping the farm, Dal warns the rest of the Mallrats about the Chosen and their adherence to Zoot. Realizing that they must have Brady, the tribe mount another search with Ebony taking the lead. But what are her true motives? Elsewhere, Danny continues to compete with Tysan for Bray's time, while Jack stumbles upon some surprising information only to lose it again. Okay guys, so a meaty episode to dive into. So, following on from the last episode's cliffhanger, Dal confronts the Chosen. Rivina's status as a Morat fails to deter them, however he eventually manages to escape and warns the rest of the tribe back at the mall. So yeah, panel, um, what did you think of this rare moment in the spotlight for Dal and his attempts at scaring the Chosen off? It's a good scene for him. I mean, he rarely gets any that are Dal-centric. Mm. It's been a while. And... Um, you know, it also, it, it does a lot of things. It's accomplishing a lot in this scene. We know that the Chosen are clearly just trying to scare Dal so that he will take that fear message back to the mall. You know, um, it's just, it's a good scene. It's a rare night scene outside of the mall. It's one of the few scenes we need to make the city seem like it could be dangerous. That's very necessary because people keep saying it's dangerous, but we haven't seen anything. So the idea these guys are creeping around in the dark is pretty creepy. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it, it's a good scene. I, I can't really find much fault with it. It's a good scene. It works. It was cute to see him try and stand up to them, though. Laying the authority. The Chosen got lucky. They lucky they caught him off guard. Do you know whose farm this is? <laughs> This is a, I feel like Dale could, er, Dale, he can handle himself. This wasn't a fair fight whatsoever. I would love to see just one of those chosen against Dale by himself. Just one. I do like how, um, once again, we get the motives of the chosen and that the, the way the mall rats are trying to control the city isn't going to work with the chosen because, you know, Dale immediately tells him, if you mess with us, We'll cut off your antidote. And Jaffa's just like, so? <laughs> we don't want it. And he's like, you, everybody wants it. Like, Dal is in such disbelief. Like, no, you're, that can't possibly be true. Everybody wants the antidote. And Jaffa's like, not us. We don't care. That's scary. And that's when you can see Dal crumble. Because it's just like the one bit of authority the Malrads have isn't working with this creepy group. And he's just like, I gotta get out of here. There's something wrong with these guys. Um... They're giving me serial killer vibes. It made me wonder, though, did he pay no attention whatsoever when Bray and Danny informed people that there were these strange guys at the tribal tribe leader meeting who refused the antidote? I think some of them probably just took it as a fluke. 
because it was this one-time thing and nobody has seen these guys since. So mm-hmm. everybody just yeah. wrote them off as some crazy people who just showed up at the mall. They probably just thought they were trolls. So for them to show up again, it's like, this is real. These guys really exist and they don't want the antidote and there's something really messed up about them, you know? I mean, they were described as the weirdos with, in robes and you'd think he put two and two together. You think he would, but I think it's plausible that he just forgot about it, distracted himself with other stuff. Lots been going on. Yeah, that's true. Also, I realized the chosen are like in such perfect coordination. Like they're always in a straight line with each other <laughs> when they're mm-hmm. harassing somebody. I wonder if they practice that. I was going to say, how many times did Jaffa make them practice that? Yeah. <laughs> this is the morning routine. Every day when we wake up, we do this first, then that, then that. Wow. So it's like a military. Wow. I think the only thing that kind of annoyed me about the scene was like, I don't, I didn't even understand why they were spying on Dao and confronted him. That's why I think this was just to scare, to get a message of fear back to the mall. You know, um, they're spying on these mall rats and trying to encounter them whenever they leave the mall because they can't quite get inside the mall themselves. You know what I mean? And, um, and they, I just feel like this is what they've been doing, spying on the mall rats whenever they leave the mall. And here, this, because if they really wanted to do something to Dal, they would have. But as soon as Dal runs, what does Jaffa say? Leave him. He's not important. It was never about Dal personally bothering him or doing something to him. It was about scaring him, getting this message into him, and knowing he's going to go back to the mall and repeat this message, you know? And um, that, that kind of makes it worse. Because like, if their goal was to get Trudy, which it, which it is, like, not scaring the Morats into getting better defenses and security. That's like, I don't, didn't really quite get that. I, yeah, I thought about that too. I did think that was strange. It's like, they want Trudy. And we, that's what we find out. So why would you want the Morats on more alert than they already are since you already took Brady? Yeah. Um, I don't I know. Have, I always had another thought about that because Jaffa being Jaffa, he would have known where Ebony was hanging out. And he knew that Seize the one. If you want to get something done from someone, just make Ebony do it for you. Yeah, but he's really surprised to see her later, so I don't yeah. think that's what he was thinking. Honestly, I, if I'm going to say anything, I think Jaffa, his belief is that stirring up chaos is the best way to get what he wants, is to freak people out. And he isn't wrong about that. People do stupid things mm-hmm. when they're scared and panicky. And I think he's just more interested in watching it all fall apart and taking advantage of that. And then he can find a way to get to Trudy. You know, he doesn't seem to be in a rush to get Trudy. He wants her, but he's just biding his time until there's an opening for it. Of course, yeah. you know, he's Ebony col- provides an opening, but... He's collecting the set. Yeah, he's just biding his time. He, you know, he and his gang, they succeeded at getting the baby. Zoot has rewarded them, so it must mean they're doing the right thing. And... Let's just continue stirring the pot and seeing what floats to the surface and what we can do with that. But that's just a, a thought exercise about Jaffa. It's just yeah. very tactical, though. Just picking up one of the mall rats at a place they think they're safe, but where he can still easily get to them. And just giving them that little hint of, no, you're not safe there either. Because one thing he's right about, the more chaos that... The, cho- the Chosen are capable of creating in the mall, the more the mall falls apart. It's not like mm-hmm. the mall becomes a more secure place. <laughs> it just becomes more chaotic. 
the, the more afraid and frightened and frantic the mall rats become, it's not like the place becomes a safe fortress for anybody. You know what I mean? So he's not wrong about that. Yeah, for him, there's power in chaos. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, I think you're right on that. And I think it, it all really goes back to Zoot's teaching, kind of like the same thing Zoot taught uh, Ebony about how to be a leader. The best way to control people or to control the city is throughout fear. And I think that's what Java's, or I said Java's, <laughs> uh, that shows or the Guardian's intent was just to create fear, not only in the mall rats, but in the entire city, because everyone's going to be talking about it. Um, and also, yeah, uh, uh, Liz, it's just like what you said about whenever something stirs up in the mall, things seem to crumble apart. And man, I don't think the the Guardian knew that that always happens in a mall, but it's it's a great strategic mind thinking to just uh, st- spread lies and deceit and watch the seeds grow into something more. And, you know, that always happens in a mall. Because it works all throughout the city for them. Like, this is their strategy through all of season two. Sowing discord, um, flaming the, you know, the fires of misinformation and distrust and confusion. And the mall rats are trying to hold on to their power by a thread. They cannot, it doesn't bring anybody together. It doesn't create any kind of unity. It doesn't organize anybody. It just becomes more and more of a mess. And um, the Chosen are able to take over. They're able to take advantage of that. Yeah, and also, the Malrats aren't good at handling power. They, they never was. So, no. I, I think they need to stray away from that. If I was one of the one of the leaders, or at least one of the members in the Malrats, I would at least brought it to people's attention that I don't think as a unit how we operate, what values we all have in each other, I don't think having power is best for us because we're not <laughs> good at it. But you can see this as an adult. Would you have been able to see that as a child in the age these kids are? Uh, maybe. I, I think, well, just looking looking at someone like Trudy, looking at someone like Celine and all these other members, uh, I can tell they're not good at handling power. I can tell they do not want power. Sure, maybe Lex wants power, uh, Ebony, and maybe Bray can do something with it, but I would say 70% of them do not want that smoke. You make a really good point, and I do think the show makes that point. Everybody who tries to take over, none of them are actually well-equipped for the power they want, you know, but the point is that everybody wants power, you know, all these people, are they lack the self-awareness of whether or not they should have the power, whether the power is best in their hands, you know. Um, so even the good guys or the bad guys, doesn't matter. Whoever has power, what we see time and time again are people who are ill-equipped to handle that power and aren't aware that they shouldn't have it, aren't able to admit they shouldn't have it. And it's just, a lot of it just comes from, I'd rather have the power than be powerless in this crazy world. Mm-hmm. And so that motivates most people. That's what's motivating the mall rats to keep their power. If I mean, their initial plan was just to save as many people as they could, you know, and it's like, okay, you did that. But now their agenda has changed to staying in control so they can sway the, you know, the populace to live as they would like. Because, hey, this world was really scary when we didn't have any control in it. So 
I don't want to give up this power, even if we're probably the worst people to have it. I, I don't want to give it up. And we see that over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. so it's a great point, but I, I think that is kind of the thing. It's a, it's a theme through all five seasons. Nobody wants to give up their power because at least you have some kind of control over your life rather than letting someone else decide for you. So even if you're terrible at it, you're not going to admit that I shouldn't hold the reins. I shouldn't be driving the car. <laughs> You, you convince yourself, hey, I'm the most sober person in the group, so I'm driving, even though it's like, nobody should be driving. <laughs> right, right, right. And you know what the funny, the funniest thing is? The, like, the definition, or at least a quote about what power is, sums up that the Marats technically don't have any power, or never had any power. And the quote was, um, if power can be taken away from you like that, then it was never really power. Hmm. I think on that one. Yeah. My mind's just going tra- down a completely different path about power because, Liz, you just said they that you know they want to have control over their own lives and be able to make decisions. And I think the kids who don't, uh, who don't want that control, that that want someone else to decide, are the ones that will eventually see joining well the dark side. Well, you're always going to have a group of people who will join any side. Mm-hmm. Whatever side seems the most superior at any given time, simply because, like you said, they don't really want power for themselves. They really don't want to make decisions for themselves. They just they just want to get by. And so they'll they'll just choose the winning team. They're not loyal to any actual team. They're just like, whoever happens to be winning is who I'm going to join up with. You know, I just don't want to get trampled. That's all I care about. So you have people like May who are just like, whoever has the highest score, that's who I'm stacking up with and as soon as you start to lose she is switching allegiances in a heartbeat she's just like i just want to live that's all i care about i agree i love may (laughs) i i just keep getting a quote from a much later episode stuck in my head with a we don't have to to decide about right or wrong anymore Sue decides for us that must be very liberating you know um when you don't have to take any responsibility for the choices you're making, you don't have to actually look someone in the face and justify choices that you've made, especially if they were bad ones. If you can just be like, oh, I'm not really in charge of what I'm doing. It's somebody mm-hmm. else and it justifies every heinous act yeah. I might be doing. That must be incredibly liberating to not have to have a conscience because it's not you you're just doing what Zoot wants. And it's, people yeah. treat religion like that all the time, you know? It's okay for me to hate the gays because that's what my Lord wants. It's not me. It's out of my hands, mm-hmm. you know? I'm just listening to my Lord and Savior and following him. So it's okay to be a bigot. <laughs> and you see that a lot from people. Yeah. It's hard to be responsible for yourself. It's exhausting to try and be a self-aware, responsible, decent human being in this world. Yeah, in this world, let alone in a world like we see in a tribe with no adults, kids left all on their own. It's no wonder people joined, joined the Chosen in that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about Trudy. So um, after the group come to the conclusion that the Chosen must have Brady and Lex callously announcing that they can have her, Trudy obviously becomes upset and has to be calmed by Celine. And later, Trudy makes an effort to be kind to her, complimenting what she's wearing and reassuring her that she's not going to harm herself as she needs to be here for when Brady comes back. And this also would allow Celine to go and be with Ryan. 
And yes, that what I kind of want to focus on. I mean, Panda, what do you think of this scene and kind of Trudy's intuition um, about Celine, despite everything that has been going on with her emotionally? It's a beautiful scene. It's really sad and heartbreaking. And, you know, watching somebody try to maintain some lucidity despite what mm-hmm. she's going through and take a moment to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to try not to think about myself. I'm going to think about how this is affecting other people. And be considerate of them, even though, dude, I'd give her a pass. She doesn't have to be considerate of anybody right now, but she's actually trying to be, which is really sweet. And uh, you see how much effort she's putting into it, you know, how fragile she sounds. And she's just trying to reach out to her friend. And, you know, it's like almost an apology. I'm sorry. I know I've been really hard to deal with, and this has been tough, and you've been a good friend to me. Uh, Let me think about you. Um, you shouldn't have to be in here taking care of me and you, what's happening with you. You have stuff happening too. And it's, it's just a nice moment of friendship mm-hmm. and remind you that Trudy is a decent person who's going through a really rough time. Of course, it's another writer who apparently seems to like her and is showing her at her best. And I think it's good for Celine too, you know, showing Celine's vulnerability, what she's going through emotionally and, um, it's just a nice scene between the girls reminding you that they are friends, even though a couple other episodes have seemed to have forgotten that. <laughs> you know, it's like, they're friends. They care about each other. You know, they support each other. It's, it's very needed. You know, I don't know. It's well acted. I just, I really like the scene. I like the way it's lit. I love Antonia and Vicky, uh, Victoria together. It's just well done. Good dialogue and chemistry. I like Trudy's realization in that with a, no, wait, you're watching me. No, I'm not going to do anything stupid. I just, I need to be here when she gets back. Mm-hmm. I'm just, yeah, it's, it's her realizing that, okay, she's a mess and they know what she could do when she's such a mess. So yeah, I think it's a nice little detail that she's realizing that and actually daring to say it out loud for once. Yeah, that was a nice callback to season one. I still think Trudy is on like some type of a Truman Show movie where I feel like nobody in the mall is like communicating with her or they just leave out important details for her. Like when they're all just talking about, oh, yeah, the Chosen, they have they have Brady and this and that. And she's asking, like, who has Brady? What's going on? And they're just like, what? (laughs) 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 It's, it's hilarious to watch, but then also it's like, why are you doing this to this poor woman? <laughs> I didn't want to get into it, but yeah, that <laughs> their reaction and that their or in, in reaction, I should say, to not even saying anything made it even worse. Yeah, I, I didn't like it. So I wanted to smooth over it, but yeah. <laughs> if I were her and I would have heard, heard Lex just say, oh, they can have her because that's what she walked into. And no one says anything. <laughs> I would have probably tried to strangle Lex if I were her. It just makes it worse. No one says a thing. <laughs> it seemed like uh, everyone was like smiling and looking at each other like, oh, look, she's doing it. She's becoming into her moody state. <laughs> it's not moody. <laughs> I do like the, I like the way, um, I will say this, even though, yeah, there's still a lot of, crappy behavior towards Trudy's situation but I still think this one's written better than it has been um, Mm -hmm. because 
for example, it makes sense for Lex to be so cold and callous and cruel, especially when you consider Lex's headspace, where he is. Um, he is going to regress to his jerk state. He has nothing going for him. And this is, this is Lex's default state when he's dealing with that abyss. And that's where Lex is. So it makes sense for Lex to be the one to say something. But you'll notice no one else joins in with that kind of callousness. And when Trudy hears him, they're more stunned into silence. Like, anyway, it just seems like they're more just like, crap, what do we say? She just heard that. We don't have any answers for her. We're just speculating, talking about this. And we can't have a rational conversation with her about it. And, um, but you'll notice after, you know, they've sent Celine to be with her, listen to the way they're all talking. There is way more empathy shown for her than they have previously. Like, even when Jack says she needs help, he's not saying it in his jerkish way. He's saying it in like, I'm actually, we should be concerned. Our friend is spiraling. She needs help, more help than we can actually give her. I did think this is good, well-written. The, the characters are written to be better, like... I don't know, human beings who are trying to deal with a crisis compared to before was like they're written like they just didn't care at all. Or was it just, is that just me? Yeah, no. that Jack's line. No, no, I felt the opposite. That was quite callous and rude. Yeah, I didn't get that <laughs> genuine <laughs> feelings of caring at all. <laughs> it, it felt so fitting for Jack to respond that way. Yeah, fitting, but again, just goes to, adds more fuel to the fire. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that, like fuzzy feelings from that at all. <laughs> well, I didn't get fuzzy feelings. I'm just I'm not saying that these guys are coming across as the care bearers this time. Just more that I do think it's better written. Like they just feel more human. They're all highly motivated. Whereas before it made no sense for their callousness and their lack of empathy. Right? I just think this episode does a much better job of um the characters behaving in a way that makes sense for who they are what they're feeling, what they're going through, and what they're concerned about at any given time. I just I just think it's better written. That's all. I'm not saying it gave me gooey feelings like, oh the Marats are wonderful. Just more like this is this makes more sense the way they're reacting here, you know? They're still not reacting the way I wish they were, but it's just better. Or maybe my standards are so low because <laughs> <laughs> they started it. The bar is under the ground. So maybe I'm just like, any improvement is amazing. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it just still feels that everyone's reaction is just nowhere near the level it should be. Because, I mean, come on, like, everyone's talking about what's happening and Trudy comes in at a point where she hears that they might know where her baby is and no one says anything. No one says what they might have heard. No one says that they might, she might be okay. No one says anything. And they just all just, oh, she's going off on one or we just lead her away. Let's calm her down. It's like, uh, it's just wrong. I, no, it's just, I just don't like it at all. It's just nowhere near um, the level it should be. I will say what I, one of my favorite things about this conversation, you know, Trudy aside, um, is this is the confirmation. Now, we speculated, did, did Ebony guess that the Chosen might have had something to do with Brady? Mm -hmm. But there's no proof that she did. We knew that she, we've all agreed that we're pretty sure she recognized them at the tribal gathering. Like, I think I know who these people are. Uh, they were former locos. And, but, you know, she had nothing to go off of. And uh, all she could do is pretend she didn't know who they were. And then it's only after these guys attack Dal and give this exposition dump, 
you know, for Dow to report who they are, what they're doing, what their goal is, blah, 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 that Ebony immediately connects them to wanting something that belonged to Zoot. But she doesn't say Brady. She says Bray, even though it's like, and it's, it's someone else who has to say, uh, duh, maybe they already have, it's Tyson actually. He says they probably already have what they wanted. If, if the argument is that they want something of Zoot's, hello, Brady's already missing, you know, and mm -hmm. then you'll notice that Ebony immediately gets into gear. She's on board for searching for this child, you know, and I love it because it's like once she's made the connection, she's already decided I'm going to seek them out. You know what I mean? Like I might have already found my army to, you know, achieve my goals. And I just thought that was really interesting watching her make the connection immediately be like, Bray, they're probably after you. And it's just really cool. I like that. <laughs> Confirmation that she knows now she knew before Tyson said anything. They took this baby. And now she's interested in finding the baby. Of course, she doesn't. She's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they want something of suits, he's not sharing. No matter if it's that baby. She is so crafty. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I just love how concerned she suddenly is. Like, <laughs> I'm like, where did this come from? Like, she's suddenly really concerned about everyone's safety. She's telling everybody, you need to stay in the mall. Only my team is going to go looking, you know, um... And you're like, oh, she wants to make sure she knows where everybody is, you know? And uh, I just was like, wow, the wheel's turning immediately. She, she's like a bloodhound. She just got a scent and she is off on the trail, you know? I mean, and that leads on to the next thing. Like, what was everyone's reaction to Bray realizing that Ebony had made a connection with the Chosen and the ex-Locos? Like, don't you think you should have done a bit more about it? I don't, I don't have anything. <laughs> He just like right. lets her go. It's like, hmm, really, Bray? Ebony had him in a love spell. That's what it was. <laughs> That's a big revelation. You've like you've made the connection that these chosen are part of the ex locos. So like, and you let Ebony go and search for your missing niece. Like, really? Hmm. I think he's just holding out hope that his charms can still make Ebony do whatever he really wants her to do, or he's just holding out hope. That she might be a decent person somewhere far, far, far underneath. But yeah, I mean, we know Bray always holds out that kind of hope for her, but uh, this is this is a serious situation. <laughs> yeah. But we already established that he doesn't really care that they have his niece. He, he didn't care before when he didn't know who had her. And it really hasn't changed right now. I think he cares. I just don't think they've done a very good job. Of showing it um but then again bray can be like that you know he can be strange about how he shows the way he cares for people so and it can be weird especially with small children you know i, I think i've mentioned before that i didn't spend a lot of time with my nieces and nephews when they were small and one might get the impression i didn't give a crap about them because i was just never with them but i was just i was busy i had stuff going on but if they needed anything if anything happened to them, I would drop everything for them, you know? Um, so, I mean, Bray's not the type he's going to babysit Brady, you know? And he's not going to spend a lot of time holding her. And he, we already know Bray's not very expressive yeah. with what he's feeling. He, he internalizes so much. I don't know why he's, where he's going with Ebony. I think it's just, once again, Bray's underestimating her or giving her more credit than she deserves. Um... 
or he just thinks he can handle her and if he can just manipulate her just so she'll do the things he he th- knows she's capable of and just overestimating her you know or overestimating what he knows about her as usual um mm. yeah but he's doing a good job acting like she's on the same page with him you know what i mean like she's acting like look we're gonna find this kid you know like she's acting very concerned and so he must feel like he's making progress. Like, okay, she's serious about this. So what I'm saying to her must be working. You know what I mean? Like my threats, my veiled threats about how if she doesn't do this, if she doesn't succeed at this and her position is ruined, he must think her reaction is due to him, even though it's it's not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Bray does care about Brady. But also, he gives off that like that uncle vibe that he's like, he would just give like a niece twenty dollars to go to the mall. He's like, yeah, go have fun and just not spend time with her. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love in this scene. I love the the chemistry that uh, Bray and, and Ebony showed. Mm. I want more of that tension. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> Why can't they just give us a season, just a whole season of just Bray and, and Ebony just talking to each other? <laughs> they did. Season three. Uh, They're stuck together. For the, for most I'm not even three. counting that. I'm not even going to count that. You know why? Because Amber was in the way. <laughs> she wasn't even around them for most of the season. It's just the two of them off on their little rebellion. But she was around there enough to ruin their love sequence. Yeah. Keep dreaming, Carlin. Keep That's dreaming. Just- but that's because of what the things Ebony has done. Yeah, Ebony had already ruined it for herself by then. <laughs> we all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, bad choices. There's a difference between mistakes and willfully doing things to harm people. Those aren't mistakes. Those are Listen, choices. Everyone deserves a 15th chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she's already past that. <laughs> 15th chance. <laughs> I love that. Most people will be like, people deserve second chances. And it's just like, yeah, she <laughs> made her quota a long time ago. And Carlin, he knows. He's like, oh, well, I can't wait like- to get to the episode because she changed. <laughs> she changed as a human being. Oh. oh, isn't he sweet, you guys? <laughs> so precious. She believed her good enough. So precious. <laughs> you sweet, summer child. <laughs> oh, I don't want to talk about this next bit, but. um. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Ryan and Celine, but does anyone want to talk about Ryan and Celine? Blah blah blah. Who wants to speak about them? I will. I will say this about Ryan and Celine again. It is exhausting watching their conflicts. Um, I agree, it's not fun, but they at least have them. They do work through them in a realistic way, especially given their age. And I actually liked the conflict in this episode. I thought it was sensitively handled from both points of view. The empathy is for both Celine and Ryan and the misunderstanding of what's going on. Celine feeling undesirable, unwanted, unloved, and unworthy, and not understanding why. And too young, too immature, and too scared to talk to him about what she's feeling. And that scene where she just finds the room empty and she's crying because Ryan decided to go on guard duty, that really broke my heart because we've all been there in a relationship where there's nothing seriously wrong, but 
we don't understand what's going on and we don't know what to do because we don't have enough experience to deal with it. But the episode also shows empathy for Ryan's situation when we finally get to see what it is Ryan's afraid of and how why he's avoiding intimacy with Celine and how he what he says to Lex about it. Like not everybody is sex mad like you. You know, that's literally how he defines it, you know, and how disgusted he is that Lex would even insinuate that Ryan is only kind to his girlfriend because he's getting laid, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I really like it. I think it's sensitive to both of them. Again, I get why it's not fun for anyone to watch, but considering how many times we have to watch Ryan and Celine back and forth, not talking, not explaining themselves to each other, just constant misunderstandings, this is definitely one of the better handled episodes. I feel for the both of them. I agree so much, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why? Because we we had that that scene episodes ago where Ryan, on the way to the farm, Ryan told her what his deepest fears were. And he said it again when they were together in the mall. And Celine just is not listening. She's still trying to force it over and over and over again every single night. Come to bed, come to bed, come to bed. We're going to do this. It's like, no, like you can't force this. And she's, she's not listening. There's no communication on her side at all. I don't feel it at all. It has not registered with her that he hasn't done those things yet. She just he told her his fears and she's no, not he, listening. I know, but she she's will tell us later that she had no idea how inexperienced Ryan was. Like, we'll find that out later. Yeah. How surprised Celine is to find out that Ryan's never been with anybody. Like, she just makes the assumption, because he's a guy he was friends with Lex, that he's been with other girls. Yeah. She yeah. says as much later, and um, which explains why she thinks, well, he just needs some encouragement. He just needs to know mm-hmm. that I want to do it with him, and that I trust him. He's telling, and, he's telling her no. <laughs> Give me space. I know that. And she's I'm still saying, come to bed. <laughs> Lance, I said, I understand it's frustrating to watch, but this is very human, and yeah. I'm Maybe I can relate to it because mm-hmm. I remember being a 15-year-old girl and being in these situations. And I understand why Celine thinks, like, he, you know, Ryan mm-hmm. told her, I'm just afraid of what will happen if we're together. And she thought, well, I trust you and you'd never be like Lex. So in her mind, that's enough. He, sh- You know, she's reassured him. She thinks we're over the hurdle. So every time Ryan still pushes her away, it she just it becomes this thing in her mind rather than being able to, like you said, listen to him and realize he's just not ready to do this with me. What her brain is turning it into is I'm disgusting. I'm monstrous. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, he, want me. He doesn't you know? want me. There must be something wrong with me. There That's must what be she hears. Mm. Especially when she had to watch him pine over Zandra so much. And she thought Zandra was very glamorous and very beautiful. She, I guarantee, Celine has told herself he wouldn't have hesitated to be with Zandra, mm-hmm. but he's hesitating to be with me. And if she already thinks that she's not worthy of Ryan's love or basically anyone's love, and you know, is disgusted with herself most of the time, I'm just not surprised that she's taken herself into this spiral in her own head. You know, and of course, yes, this would be solved if she told Ryan. I feel like you don't want me, and this sucks. I hate how this feels, but again, she's 15. She can't do that, and um, I get it, though. It's really frustrating to watch. I guess I just have a lot of empathy for it because I remember being this way. And I got none. Sorry. None. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you I, were I, never I, a 15-year-old girl. 
no, but like, okay, if the situation was switched, okay, let's switch the situation around. If this was Ryan for trying to force Celine to come to bed over and over again, the conversation would be quite different. Mm-hmm. It would be quite different. And Brian I feel like is doing exactly the same way right now, even though it's Celine. Like, it's, it's, no, it's not right. I don't, I don't feel. I understand what you guys are saying about her, what she's feeling, but mm, nah, I don't feel like she's forcing Ryan to bed at all. Yeah. She never, she never forces him to bed. She's encouraging him. She's letting him know you are welcome to come here. Please, please be with me. Please lay down with me. But she's not forcing Ryan. Yeah. Um, and I, I I can honestly say that if it were Ryan in the bed and Celine avoiding the bed, mm-hmm. and Ryan was like, please, Celine, come to bed. And Ryan was the one agonizing, going, I think she doesn't want me because I'm not a hot guy. I would have the same feelings for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they're exactly the same. I would. Because I don't feel like she's trying to force him or forcing intimacy on him that he doesn't want. You know what I mean? Um, she's definitely in- trying to encourage it. And doesn't understand why he's rejecting it because it never, you know, wouldn't. And of course, like you said, if it occurs to her, if she believes that he simply doesn't want to be with her, her brain turns that into a rejection. And so Sabine mentioned it before. It's mixed signals for Celine. You know, if one minute Ryan is like, I don't want to be anywhere near you. <laughs> so that tells her brain that he's not into me. And then the next morning he's bringing her breakfast in bed and putting a blanket around her. What is it doing to her mind and her concept of what relationships are supposed to be? Not saying it's right. I understand why it's annoying for you. But I'm just explaining why to me, I'm like, I get this. I understand this. Mm -hmm. And this is just one of the better episodes exploring (laughs) the conflicts between the two. Because there are times when it's just like, I have zero patience for them. (laughs) And at least now it's obvious what it's about. And I just feel bad for both of them. I do. I'm just like, oh, come on. I wish you guys could just talk this out. But I've seen adults dealing with the exact same thing and unable to express it or put it into words mm-hmm. of what it is, what's going on. And I don't know. Maybe I just, okay, I don't know. Maybe I just felt moved by being in that helpless emotional space where it feels like you should be able to logically fix this, but you don't know how to put into words what you're, what you're upset about. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't fix it. And all you can do is cry about it. And you're just like, how do I get out of this? I don't know. I really don't know how to put this in a box and explain what it is, what the problem is. I don't really know how to do that. And so I just feel helpless in this spiraling emotional state. And clearly, Celine feels like so much crap that she ends up binge eating again. And so I, maybe, maybe I'm biased. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. But I think you have a point there. It's just she's in such an insecure state and just assuming that Ryan was with other girls in the past. So why doesn't he want to be with her? What's wrong with her that he doesn't want that with her? Because in her mind, that's what guys want. So for him not to want that with her, that must mean that there's just something about her that he doesn't want. And it just adds on to her fears that he's only with her because he feels sorry for her. Mm-hmm. Which she's always struggled with, you know. But no, mm. it's not fun to watch, Lance. You're right. It's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying because it happens all freaking season. And then a third of the way into the next season. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I have to say, though, that little moment with Lex teasing Ryan and with the kids, it just fit. Because yeah. it's such so, a Lex thing to do. So Lex. 
Well, I, for one, love watching these Ryan and Celine scenes. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love judging them. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, but I, I love uh, I love their scenes because it's just a classic story of two really good friends that should not be dating. And they're only dating because they're good friends who have shared tragic emotional experiences with each other and that's how they became close um i think throughout this season or even like you know this episode but and throughout this season we kind of see that these two aren't really compatible for the for each other but they just care so much about each other that they do everything within their power um physically emotionally just to you know make it work which it just never does Mm-hmm. It's a fair argument to support that, yeah. Yeah. So back to Ebony and Bray. So no. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. see. It's in moments like that where you can be so self-aware about Celine and Ryan. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll talk so about that anyone else. I'm happy. <laughs> and then you go to eBay and you're just in delusions about this relationship. eBay. I love that name. <laughs> What's Celine and Ryan's? Rylene. I think it's Rylene. Yeah. Let, let's talk about anyone else other than Ryan and Celine because they, they do my head in a can't. <laughs> I know that was torture for you, Lance. <laughs> I can't. Uh, it's uh, because we're going to have to talk about it like every episode uh, this season. <laughs> There's going to be a Ryan and Celine scene to cover. They're great. They're out, honestly, they're like hilarious. The conversations <laughs> they have and how awkward it is between them. It's like everyone in the, in the in the tribe knows that they are a couple. And yet when they see them do everyday things with each other, they look so awkward. <laughs> you know what I thought for a while when I watched this when I was younger? When Ryan just would not give in to Celine. My first thought was, okay, so when is he going to tell her he likes boys? <laughs> I was just gonna say, who do y'all think would make a better lover for Celine, Ryan or May? <laughs> hmm. <Huh. laughs> um, Ryan and Celine never worked. May, hundred percent. Well, you know, I think there's an argument for both of them. Like Ryan was good for Celine because of how much he genuinely cared for her and worked so hard for her happiness in most situations. And I feel like everyone deserves someone like that, but. I almost feel like almost like May is who Celine deserved more um, because of the things that Celine has done. And I feel like she <laughs> deserves to have a lover who can be just as Evil. messed up as her. <laughs> no, stop it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying like Celine does some jacked up stuff in her <laughs> run. And I'm just like, maybe she shouldn't have such a wonderful person who would move heaven and earth for her. Maybe she needs someone with a little more bite like May who can give as good as she gets. <laughs> yep. Like, oh, you hurt me, girl. Well, you <laughs> know what it is? <laughs> you know what it is? All this, yeah. <laughs> all this relationship stuff that we're seeing right now with, with uh, Celine and Ryan, this is just practice for Celine until she gets to May. Just so there's no misunderstanding of the listeners out there, I am not demonizing <laughs> Celine or saying she deserves an abusive partner. I'm just <laughs> hypothetically the joke. May would probably be better for her. <laughs> yeah, they do have a more emotional connection. I'd say. Um, I think there's more realistic 
connection between Celine and May at times, you know? Right. Rather I do than think, I don't know. I think like, Celine and Ryan have better chemistry though. They do. The actors have fantastic chemistry, but she has good chemistry with May as well. And you could argue that with Ryan, Celine is trying to live up to some picture standard of what couples are supposed to be. Almost like if someone was chasing the American dream or whatever. I feel like that's what she's trying to be with Ryan. But with May, she's kind of forced to be real because May's like, yeah, I see you. You know, I don't hold you on some kind of pedestal. I know mm-hmm. who you are. I've seen your mistakes. I'll call you out on them, but I like you anyway. And Celine is the same way. She's seen all the crap May does. She's seen the dark side of May. She's forgiven her anyway. So maybe that's why I feel like they'd be a better couple because they're like meeting each other as real people without a facade of what we should be. She's like, look at this is our ugly, grimy selves. I love you. Get in here. <laughs> she's never really that way with pride, though. No, again, with pride, it feels I, she's more mature with pride. Like yeah. she's been this road but i still feel like with pride it's trying to create an image of what perfect love should be she's better with pride though i'll give you that definitely more mature more real about stuff mm-hmm. but I, I was never a celine pride fan either yeah that was a weird no. relationship almost as weird as ebony and bray or no excuse me ebony and jay <laughs> <laughs> i mean the only thing i had against celine and pride was well me wanting to ship pride with other people. But, so bringing yeah. it back to this episode, I would say that we're just stuck watching Celine in her first real relationship. And it's exhausting. Watching two people in their first real relationship. Because you can't count Bray or um, uh, Zandra as relationships because those two were just crushes and infatuations that never went anywhere. So these two are literally having their first love experience together. And it's as messy as they usually are. And they don't know it about each other. Yeah. It would have helped them so much if they just knew. They're learning on the job. <laughs> just learning on the job. And my, my first love was just as messy as this. <laughs> so I can't even judge them. Even when I'm like, I hate you too so much. Mm-hmm. You know what Ryan and Celine actually remind me of? It's like one of those um, comedies, like <laughs> two kids from high school who say, who make a make a bet, like, oh, well, if you don't get married by 30, then they'll marry each other and make a life of it. It's just a mm-hmm. kind of situation. The two going, oh, oh, so we need to make a, make a go of it now. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> they are very much the cliche characters of a romantic comedy. The one we've all seen a billion times. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's a romantic comedy. Let's see. Tizan is like the weird hippie girl in school. <laughs> and almost every episode is the third act misunderstanding. Like, <laughs> yep. yep. They have to like break up and go separate ways. Yeah. Trudy's like the like, best friend who's the their relationship relief. <laughs> is just perpetually in that stage. They're constantly falling like in love, and then the misunderstanding. We're just reliving the movie over and over again. <laughs> we forced you to talk about it, Lance. I know. Hi. I didn't want to talk about Celine. <laughs> Lance was like, I don't want to talk about these guys, but we were like, we have so much to say. <laughs> and we've got all oh, season to talk about them too. Oh. <laughs> yeah, actually speaking of love, guys, <laughs> what did you make? Of the flirting between Bray and Tyson. 
<laughs> At that point in time, I just, yeah, I would have preferred them to Bray and Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I was rooting for them. Because that was clearly filler in. That was, you can't, you can't even say that was just um, friendly. <laughs> that wasn't innocent. That was flirting. <laughs> Cute scene. They got great chemistry. It's nice to see Bray giggle. <laughs> like, we rarely ever see Bray having a good time. And um, so I like that. And it's nice to see Tysan also letting loose. It's nice to see Tysan connecting with someone over something she loves and mm-hmm. is really good at doing. And Bray actually finding some kind of contentment in doing it, too. And like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. It's kind of relaxing, you know. Bray is away from everything. He's in a really nice headspace right now. I like all that. I think it's well shot, well acted. Actors are doing a great job. And that's all I have to say about it. It makes me wish that Bray had more friendship moments with people. Like he got to connect with other people rather than just love interests or ex-love interests. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't get to connect with anybody. And um, I would have, this is the kind of scene it makes me wish he had, um, where he could have actually had these kind of engagements with other people, because it's always so obvious who Bray is going to be with, you know what I mean? And he doesn't really get to interact with anyone that he isn't going to share his bed with, you know, he rarely ever gets to be with someone where it's like a, will he, won't he, you know, it's always like, he will (laughs) with this person, he will, (laughs) will happen. Mm -hmm. So this is one of those few moments with Bray and another female where it's like, ooh, will they? Won't they? And it's it's just refreshing <laughs> to see. <laughs> see, and I just thought, okay, here goes another one. Actually, what I take away from this scene, aside from you know, Tyson, Bray, whatever, tantalizing, whatever you make of it, that's cool. But for me, what I take away from it is that I wish I could have seen this play out with Amber in the role of Danny. Um like, I mm. wish I could have seen Amber going down the path of becoming too authoritarian. Uh, of course I can't say it now. A jealous girlfriend? Becoming a dictator. Like, this was her storyline. And I, I really would have liked to see them work that in for her since they already sowed the seeds of it in season one. Of Amber having issues with power and perhaps taking it too far at times in her need to control everyone and take care of everyone. I would have actually really liked to see this because as is the scene with Danny coming in and being all whatever and Tyson kicking her out, it's cute, it's amusing, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything because our our sympathy isn't really with Danny. I don't feel like anyone really agrees with what Danny's trying to do. And even if we don't like Tyson, we would rather Bray not be with Danny working on these Bill of Rights because we don't agree with her Bill of Rights. And it just makes Danny come across as whiny and entitled. But can you imagine how much more poignancy the scene would have if this was Amber and she and Bray were not on the same page about the Bill of Rights? And she feels like Tyson is literally coming between not only her leaders, but their relationship as well. And the fact that they all have a history. Wouldn't the scene be so much better if it was Amber? Now you're making me dream of that again. Let me tell you what this scene uh, showed me. This Tyson scene. It showed me that Amber and Tyson are the most dangerous characters in the tribe. Because they have the potential to take your man. Well, they do. That's what it told me. Yeah. And Ty- this chemistry... Well, I feel like Bray can have chemistry with anybody. 
you know he's kind of like i don't know he feels like he's in a boy band like he, he can have that kind of uh i don't know he can have that effect on people i guess there's kind of it makes me think what tribe members didn't fall for bray in a, in, a, in a grand sense of things but um but yeah it was a nice little moment it was cool it was foiled by by danny though danny wasn't having it <laughs> she said no yeah, I just I just think about that. I'm like, I don't care about Danny not getting her bill of rights. I don't give a crap. It means nothing. It doesn't feel like Bray is betraying Danny. He doesn't owe Danny anything. You know, he never really agreed to any of this. She's pushing him down this path and, you know, getting all annoyed when he has other priorities, which are a little bit more important than her book of law she wants to enforce upon the city and and she just feels whiny. And But imagine, I'm just thinking, if this was Amber, the tension of Bray choosing between her and Tysan. You know what I mean? It's not just choosing like whether or not it's the Bill of Rights or the Antidote, the formula, blah, blah, blah. But it's literally, is he betraying his girlfriend in this moment? You know what I mean? And Is Tysan purposely coming between these lovers? Because Bray doesn't owe Danny anything. But he would owe Amber, so... Stain just feels falls flat, and all I can think of is what if, what could have been. Mm. I've come back and forth on that for years because I actually feel like Danny was trying to do something good because, well, like Jack said a couple of episodes, oh yeah, we need we need some rules. So I had sympathy for that part, but uh, for her claim on Bray, that just annoyed me. Yeah, Danny's intentions with her Bill of Rights, they were all good intentions. They're all well intentions. But um, I guess the best way to explain it, she just got lost in her in her vision and her trying to accumulate power to to let that vision come come true. If she would have been given more power, she would have just been dangerous, though. If she would have gotten more power, she definitely would have. through some of the tribe members out of the out of the Marats. It doesn't help that at this point we still don't know what motivates Danny. Mm-hmm. We still don't really know why she wants this power. You know, we haven't spent enough time with her. You know, and if she just wants to help people, for example, they did a better. Again, I, I'm sorry. I'm not. I don't mean to keep comparing her to Amber, but I'm doing it for the writer's point of view and the whole point when you're writing a scene and what you're trying to accomplish. Amber, the way they got across what motivates Amber was showing that she wasn't just interested in taking charge and telling people what to do. Amber went out of her way with every single person she ever met to make their lives comfortable, to help them assist. So we got to understand that this is just who Amber is. She tries to take care of everyone. Her opening scene is her rescuing a child just because. Just because the child needed somebody to save her. There was no gain in it for Amber. She would have been better off leaving Chloe there. But she saved her. That is our introduction to her. So when Amber starts taking control of things in the mall, we understand what motivates her. We get it. It's not so much power. It's just that Amber feels the need to take care of everyone and make the world better. They don't do this with Danny. They show that she wants to take over. They say that she wants to help, but notice the way Danny treats individuals in the mall. 
Does Danny do anything to help them or make their lives better? Does Danny, on a daily basis, do anything that really convinces you that all Danny wants to do is help people? So instead, her intentions just come across as she wants to be in charge, and we don't really know why. So mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. I think in the next few episodes, you can, or at least for me, I can, I kind of, or at least watching it again, I can kind of see her doing things every single episode trying to do better of just harassing people what are you doing for the city why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing that like i can see that that's just me though but again that more comes across danny just wanting to control how other people behave rather than she herself doing anything to help anyone Mm -hmm. yeah like she's more interested in just being in charge and telling people what to do rather than helping anyone we don't really see her helping anyone unless she's in a position of authority and that's just always sus mm-hmm. you know it's like oh you only help when you get to be in charge <laughs> you know and i think that's where her it, it falls flat because again we don't know what's motivating danny because she can say it's because she cares about people but i haven't seen anything that proves to me that she really does care about anybody well you know? in all in all fairness anyone ever in this entire series who's ever helped someone had to be in a position of power to do so no i think the way agree with that okay what's an example an example of someone helping someone when they weren't in a position of power to do so i mean helping mouse helping ellie mouse help not not mouse Mm -mm. (laughs) you wanted an example you wanted an example that's an example what what did she help She's not in a position of power, but she does something kind to help Ellie just because she yeah. cares about Ellie. There's plenty. <laughs> so many. There's a lot of examples of people. I, I don't. I just don't agree that people only help when they're in a position of power. Hmm. To to actually make a difference, or maybe maybe That's I'm not, not making a difference. She made a difference. Ellie's still alive because of that. As oh, you're talking about when she did that. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they stole apples just so that Ellie would know they gave yeah. a crap about her. Like, we'll miss you. We're thinking of you. We hope you have a safe journey. We stole this bag of apples for you. I just don't like mouse. But I do feel like Danny was trying to help. Obviously, it wasn't. I think she can't help like little like day to day things and maybe like helping someone like just maybe giving them food or maybe helping someone find shelter for the night or, you know, just those little things that might make a difference for that individual but not for the entire city i think she's she is and obviously we haven't gotten to this point yet but i think she's feeling such guilt that she's trying to think big she's trying to do something big that can help everybody not just individuals i agree with you 100 percent. but my point i was making is that it harms her character because we do not know why she is doing what Mm -hmm. she's doing so yeah, it's really course, hard yeah. to care about her because we don't know what motivates her. We don't know why this Bill of Rights is so important to her. She just comes across as bratty and entitled, again, because they don't do a good job of giving her a motive. So we're just like, where do you get off, you know, forcing this on everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's a choice they made. And uh, I get it. I understand. Um but it does it just doesn't really make her have a motivation that is understandable for everyone because you're watching her and you're like, 
it can't be that you care about people because you really don't show that you do care about people. Obviously, when we find out what motivates her, that's awesome. We're like, oh my gosh, now a lot of her actions make sense. But until we find that out, her character floats in limbo and it does harm her character. So it's like, that's what they sacrifice to make her character mysterious. They sacrifice the audience, you know, connecting to her, I guess. And that's a choice. That's a choice. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good choice or a bad choice, but it's a choice they made. And it definitely affected how people felt about her actions. In hindsight, her actions make perfect sense. <laughs> Absolutely. But it doesn't make her any more likable in moments like this. Of course. Yeah, I agree. And that's the sacrifice you make when you're thinking as a writer, do I want to keep this character's motivations a surprise? Or do I really want to, you know, help the audience understand why they do what they do? You know, and it wouldn't have been a problem because Amber would have already been established at this point. So, again, that's another reason Amber, Danny suffers because they wouldn't have had to show Amber constantly doing things for people by this point because it's already been established that that's what she does. But when they have a new character, they can't have her coming in and just taking care of everybody because who are you? We don't know you. And so a scene like this, I think, was meant to be really great. Instead, it just falls flat. So we're like, Danny, get out of here. <laughs> Go home, Roger. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> Go home, Danny. Take your bill of rights and go. <laughs> Danny, no swiping. <laughs> get out of my house. Get your EpiPen and your sleeping bag and get out of my house. My message to you is stay calm. Remain hopeful. We will defeat this plague from the stars. God bless you all. Yeah, yeah, God bless you too. Well, what do you think? Was that convincing? Yes, sir. Very convincing, I'd say. I think I'll swallow all that guff about the comic. Okay, before we get to the final cliffhanger, um, yeah, let's talk about Jack and the virus because he rewatches the presidential broadcast and leaves it running. Only to discover that the story about the comet is actually a lie. When he later tries to show Ellie, somebody has stolen the tape. Um, yeah, just trying to think back. Do you guys remember what you initially thought when you heard that this comet story was a lie? My first thought was, well, of course it was. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Yeah. I was not surprised that I, that didn't shock me that they were lying about the origins of the virus, I was like, you know, these kids, all the, all the signs that were given that nobody really understood where this stuff came from. I was just like, they, they probably were lying about this and we probably can't trust this either. And at the end of the day, it kind of didn't matter like exactly where it came from. But, um, I was just like, yeah, I'm not surprised. I was more surprised that someone stole it. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> who stole the tape? Who's, who is it? <laughs> Who wants to hide this information? Yeah, and that was so obvious because there was only one person who was interested in it and was trying to convince them to let it go. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Danny, you're just an evil person. This is not your episode, girl. <laughs> yeah, th th this is the one time something went missing and I did not blame Celine or KC for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this wasn't something Celine would sell for food. And well, Case he just simply has no use for it. Another question I'm like, I know I didn't, I'm going to admit, I never really had believed that D 
the antidote storyline had been intended for Amber, I thought it was created for Danny, right? Mm -hmm. Because it just didn't make sense with Amber's behavior in season one. If her father had actually worked Mm -hmm. for this, she was too clueless about where they could find answers. If her father had worked, wouldn't she be like, my dad at a laboratory, blah, blah, blah. So I just thought this is something they made up for Danny. That's cool. You know, but it seems like this where I'm just like, if they did make it up for Danny, then this scene wouldn't have had to exist. You know what I mean? And so I'm just like, if the scene hadn't existed, what the heck did they have Ellie and Jack doing this whole time? And then it makes me confused. Like, maybe they did have the virus storyline written for Amber and it just retconned her behavior from season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a while, I, there's just, it's just something on my mind. But I always wondered if they just had a separate storyline about the virus made for well, the character that eventually became Danny and just decided to merge it with the things they had worked out for Amber. Oh, that makes the most sense. Jeez, why is, why is it? I'm doing, I'm pulling a jack. I'm looking at the most complicated answer. That makes the most sense ever. I mean, you're a genius. That's why I love you. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Just just edit in jack with, I'm a genius, I'm a genius. So much sense. (laughs) That they would have just merged the character. That Danny could have existed. She just maybe didn't have as prominent a role. Wow. She, she could have fun. all been planned to just be this girl that Bray came across during their search of the city. But with Amber suddenly gone. She took had- Yeah. You know what? That would I have been- never heard that. I've never heard that. It's the most logical thing I've heard. And you're the first person to mention it. Yeah, that's the yeah. first time I've heard that through Um don't agree with it, but yeah, that's a good theory. I think that would be good, especially if Danny wasn't, you know, a main character, right? Like, we hardly saw her throughout the season, but still has that entire story arc. Because some of my favorite TV shows of all time have done that. And then the characters have become so popular that they've decided to keep them on for later seasons as a main character. Yeah, I, I think it's a very good and strong theory. I'm still kind of in Lance's camp where I don't feel like Danny was meant to exist, but I'm just saying, like, there's a good argument for Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, existing in some form. In some form. And then she just became a Hydra because Amber mm-hmm. was gone. You know, I'm just saying there's a very strong argument for it. And at the same time, it's like, I don't think she was supposed to exist. But, <laughs> yeah. but it, it seems like this where it's just it really it, it brings up a valid question. Like, huh. You know, um, I like that. I like that a lot. That make that makes for good conversation, good discussion there, you know. You'll have to do better than that. The chosen don't need the antidote. I don't want it. You want a deal? There's only one thing I'm interested in. What's that? The mother. Trudy? You deliver Trudy to me. And we'll have a deal. Why, Trudy? To complete the family. Zoot, Trudy, Braden. The sacred triangle. So after earlier knocking out KC, who had been following her, Ebony miraculously tracks down the Chosen and tries to make a deal with the Guardian, who she knows as Jaffa, to get rid of the Morats and share power. The Guardian, however, isn't interested in anything she's offering and only wants Trudy to reunite the family of Zoot. Uh, Yes, panel, what did you make of that final cliffhanger and Jaffa's intentions? Love it. <sighs> yeah, anything with Ebony, I'm all for. I 
didn't love it for what it implies is going to happen to Trudy. Like, this girl has suffered enough, but <laughs> just on a scale of, like, Ebony, her deviousness, her thinking she can handle this situation. She's trying to manage Jaffa. I love it. She went in there with a plan, and she thinks she knows what he wants. But she completely underestimated what he was interested in. She is flabbergasted that he doesn't give a crap about the antidote and her ideas of power. And then when he hits her with what he really wants. I loved it. I was just like, mm-hmm. this is so ebony. She's so the type of person to do this. And, and now it made sense why she was suddenly concerned to go search for Brady and how controlled her search was. She made sure she knew where everyone was going to be so that nobody would know where she was going to be. Which I thought, brilliant. Jeez, girl, you're so diabolically genius. I love it. And then Jaffa hitting her up, like oh, showing himself to be a worthy opponent. And not just a nutcase, because mm-hmm. all those other times you see him, he presents himself like he's just crazy, you know? And then here he is talking so logically, so factually, and it's like, he gets one over on her because she's got nothing he wants. I'm like, this was a brilliant conversation, and a real, this is like your true introduction to who Jaffa is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, okay, he's not crazy. This kid's got a plan, and um, he sounds so calm, and I don't want your antidote. We don't need it. That's so creepy, the way you said that. He's a crazy kid with a plan. Ooh, I love this. This is a great cliffhanger, and I'm like, oh, we're not done torturing Trudy. <laughs> Poor girl. This is the Let's Torture Trudy show. Of course you're not done. Is it, is it wrong that I was kind of happy that she reunited with her daughter? Yeah, after the concerns from before, it was nice to see Brady was yeah. alive. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, maybe they'll be together. <laughs> it's just such a perfect scene for Ebony. You know, it makes total mm. sense that she would try to find them and then just assume that she had credit with them. With a, okay, yeah. but I was Zoot's woman, so <laughs> come on, bow down to me. I liked how she tried that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she called herself the priestess, you know, for a while. After Zoot was gone. With her priestess power. and We can just take them out, you, me. You know, and he's just like, why? Like, I'm not interested in your power plays, Ebony. You need me. Tell me why I need you. She's like, I can get you the antidote. He's like, I don't want it. We don't need it. And she's just like, what? She reacts just like Dal. Like, and it just, it tells you the limitations to Ebony's understanding of what other people might want with power. Mm-hmm. They may not want it for the same reason she does, you know, and she cannot fathom that. <laughs> I love it though. She's so, she's like desperate to sell the mall rats down the river. Yeah. And she, <laughs> because whatever she will do, she will do, she will just go to the person who has the power at that moment and try to establish herself as well top dog. I also love the fact that Jaffa's looking at Ebony and he's reading her. Like, I don't think Jaffa ever liked her. I'm sure he probably looked at her and thought, Zoot, what are you doing? You're too good for her. Uh, mm-hmm. you know? and, um, and what he says to her, you are nobody. You used to lead the Locos, but you're nobody to us now, Ebony. You know, and that's, it really reflects Ebony's fear of her own image that she is nobody and she has been nobody for a while because mm-hmm. who is she without her power you know without her reputation who is she she's nobody you know she's just um 
a tramp with a load of bully boys running after her, you know? And I, I really like um, that he calls her out on that. And she just, I, I just like that she underestimated him. I do mm -hmm. like, I love that. And he's just like, sweetie, you know, you once had, you once were running the Locos. You lost it. And why would Jaffa actually make a real deal with her? Why would Ebony truly think she could make a deal with this guy? When he's looking at her and already knows, sure, you'll totally screw over the people you're living with. And then you'll do it to me. You really think I'm going to let you in here? He's too right. smart for that. And the fact that Jaffa's smarter than Ebony here, it makes him a awesome, formidable opponent. Mm -hmm. It makes him scarier than ever before. Especially since he's super calm. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was as if he was like, I'm not going to let you betray me, Ebony. I'm not Bray. <laughs> 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 Great way to end the episode. Mm -hmm. Good scene. Ebony's just like, Trudy? <laughs> she was not expecting that. Like, crap. <laughs> and oh, for for Ebony and that, because once again, the guy's more interested in Trudy than in her. <laughs> it always comes back to Trudy. It's always with, like, what do you want with that one? I can't get away from her. You can just see it in her face. With, what do you people always want with her? It must be irritating. She presents herself to Jaffa like, yo, you got Zoot's woman here and we could team up and take over the city and run it together. And Jaffa's like, yeah, no thanks. But could you give me Trudy? Because <laughs> she was really soothed for that girl behind you. Oh my gosh. Like, it's that moment you're in class and your crush turns to you in class and gives you an envelope, a folded letter, and you're like, oh my gosh. And they go, can you give this to the girl behind you or the boy behind you? And it's like, mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> this just keeps happening to Ebony. <laughs> exactly what it is. <laughs> Even a crazy person won't join her for power. But can you go get Trudy? <laughs> and I mean, she's known him. We'll later see how long she's known Jaffa. You gotta be kidding me. You know, Trudy? This is high school all over again, people. <laughs> she is stuck in the high school loop. No wonder she hates Trudy so much. I do love how this perfectly sets up the, what happens later yeah. with the... Like, story. That's really well done. <laughs> I love it because Ebony is left with thinking. She thought, I just have to get the antidote. But now she's like, I have to get a whole human person out here. Mm -hmm. uh, you want her? Fine. I'm a woman and I'm not good enough. But you want Charity. Her. <laughs> Why does everybody want her? What is so special about her? Yeah, it was, um, can't wait for the next episode. Sets up everything pretty perfectly. Um, yeah, I do. I do like how Jaffa snapped his his fingers, and the rest of the chosen they're so coordinated. <laughs> 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 just all at once, they just gather up towards the fence. It shows that he actually has power. Their floor routine is flawless. <laughs> yeah, I want to see the chosen halftime show. You know what I actually want, and that's. I know there's different opinions here, but we had that one book about the mall rats by, written by Harry, and I just really want one from the Chosen period, just giving us insight into what Jaffa was up to with them. My favorite part about this last scene is Jaffa himself. You guys, I have such a shame-based crush on the Guardian. <laughs> 
<laughs> you are not alone. Honey. I love Damon so much. Like I and he the confidence he exudes mm-hmm. in this scene. But he holds himself up against Ebony, who has already been set up as just one of our premier thinkers and, you know, people that we have to be concerned about. And so the fact he's able to stand toe-to-toe with her is so awesome. Mm. He, he, the light is great. I'm just like, Jaffa, I, I would, can I join the Chosen just so I can brush your hair? Like, I, <laughs> here we go again. He's I definitely one him. of the better actors. You guys, I kind of love him so mm. much. I'm like, Damon, call me. <laughs> he's not calling. I'm sorry, look, he's so awesome in this scene. He's mm. so awesome in this scene. I mean, he's totally crazy. It wouldn't last, but I love him in the scene, you guys. Okay, cool. So that brings series two, episode 12 to a close. Thank you very much to the panel. And if you'd like to take part in a future episode of the podcast, then you can send us a message over on our Facebook page or send, if you like the form, over on our site, thetribe.co.uk. So we'll see you next time for episode 13. Until then, bye. Bye. Later. Bye.